there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Good morning, church. We're continuing a series of the parables that Jesus spoke about referring to the kingdom of God, God's kingdom. Uh, These parables are taken out of Matthew chapter 13. I'll be reading out of the New International Version, starting at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. A little later, Jesus had left the crowd and he went to to the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them in the blazing fire where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the, like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Another parable, starting at verse 47. Once again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down in the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled them up to the shore, 
When they sat down and collected the good fish in the baskets, and they threw away, threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as the old. Harris, service pastor at large here, and uh, as was said, we are looking at a series of parables in Matthew's gospel. And I, I wonder, let's just kick, kick this off, have, have you ever heard someone say, church, just filled with hypocrites, and then they go on and they tell you some horrifying story about someone who's, who goes to a church and they've done something that's absolutely appalling, and you kind of cringe a little bit there and you, you, you feel pretty defensive. You ever had an experience like that? Uh, I think it was Mark Twain that said, uh, heaven for climate, hell for company, which is a kind of a, a, an interesting sentiment. Heaven for climate, hell for company. Uh, I can remember my history teacher at school who wasn't a Christian, came to be an atheist, and uh, he, he knew I was a Christian, and uh, every now and then he would say, you, you know, if heaven is going to be filled with Christians... Uh, then I'm very glad that I'm going to the other place. And he would kind of look at me quite intentionally at that point as though I would be this most irritating person to spend eternity with. And, and I never did say to him, but the, the fiend was entirely mutual. And I did think, you know, my goodness, if he was there, that would be appalling. I can just imagine kind of bumping into him regularly and him kind of saying, Harris, the 10 causes of the Great Trek, or, you know, what were the causes of the Second World War or something? I mean, it would just be appalling to have him around. But, um, I mean, there is this, this, this kind of question, so... So, so Christians are supposed to be wonderful, they're supposed to be so nice, they're supposed to be so good, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that. And though strictly these parables that we've been talking about are not parables about the church, they're parables about what God is doing in the world, in one way or another, Jesus is trying to address this question. Why is it that something can, can kind of seem to be right, and yet there's a part of you that just knows it's not quite right, it's not the right thing? And... In his context, you can imagine that he was thinking about Israel. And uh, he was a Jewish person, and he was living in, in Israel, a teacher in Israel. And outwardly, Israel looked like it was this really religious, godly society. I mean, if it was the Sabbath day, uh, I mean, everyone would just drop everything, nothing would take place, uh, Sabbath completely observed. Or if it was one of the major festivals, say the, the Feast of Passover or whatever, everyone would make their pilgrimage through to Jerusalem and through to the temple. I mean, the city of Jerusalem used to swell 25 times at the time when these festivals took place. Pretty much everyone went. They, they, they were extraordinarily loyal. 
And, and oh, when it came to the food laws, I mean, if you tried to find a bacon roll in Israel, I mean, just good luck. And they just were not available. People were kosher as in kosher as in kosher. All, all these things were kept, and the Jews did all these things that were required of them. And yet Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, comes to Israel, and only a few recognize who he is. Only a few recognize who he is. Only a few receive his message. And, and so the question is, how could it be that things seemed to be so right, and yet they weren't really right, and people weren't really following uh, the, 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 the way of God at all? And in that context, Jesus tells the first of the parables, the one that we're going to mainly focus on today, though, though there is also the parable of the fish and, and, and the net. And, and in the first parable, Jesus talks about the wheat and the, and, and, and the weeds. And he says, well, it's like this. God goes into the world and he sows, and he sows a harvest. A farmer goes and sows, and, and the seed springs up. But he has an enemy. And the enemy comes in the middle of the night and sows some seed as well. Now, now what Jesus was thinking about there was in the ancient, uh, ancient Near East, it was quite, it was just a practice uh, that if you really disliked someone, if you want to do something really malicious, pretty much everyone would. I mean, most people were farmers. It was an agricultural community. So what you'd do is, is once the wheat harvest was, was planted, if you really didn't like your neighbor, you'd take some, some what's known as Donnell, and you'd go and you'd sow that in their, seed, in their field as well. And the trouble with Donnell is that it looks extraordinarily like wheat. And certainly in the early stages, when it comes up, you can, you can barely tell the difference. It looks very, very much the same. You, you'd have to have a very trained eye to be able to say, that's Donnell, that's wheat, that's Donnell, that's wheat. The trouble is that Donnell is actually poisonous and it's toxic. And, and as it grows, later on, as the harvest comes, you can see that it has a very different kind of a head. And oh my, my goodness, it's a different harvest. And farmers had to, had to face this issue. So what do you do if your enemy has done this to you? And, uh, and we know that it took place incidentally because if you in fact go through the, I mean, we've got codes of Roman law. And if you go through some of those, those codes of Roman law, one of the things was, it's actually specified as a law. You are not allowed to sow Darnell in, in, in someone else's field. It's, it's illegal. And the Romans punished people if they ever did that. But it did, did take place. And if it had happened in your field, as a farmer, you, 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 you had to decide, so do I try and sort this out early or do I try and sort this out late? And the simple fact was, if you try to sort it out early, you'd probably create a bigger problem for yourself. Because as you try to say, this is Donnell, this is wheat, this is Donnell, this is wheat, you, you, you'd probably muddle up quite often. And furthermore, in the early stages, the wheat, the, the root was often quite shallow. So if you're pulling up other things alongside it, you'll probably pull up the wheat as well. And so the conventional wisdom of the age was, just let it be. This is a major nuisance. Unfortunately, it's just going to have to grow together. And when harvest time comes, when harvest time comes, that you, you sort it out then. Because by that stage, you do actually see quite clearly. And you'll pull up all these weeds, the Donnell weeds. You burn them, and the wheat will remain. And then you take that harvest in. It, it's, it really delayed you, because those of you who have an agricultural background will know that harvest is always this really busy time. So to have to do this extra task at harvest time was, was really annoying. But... That was how it was dealt with. Now, now, Jesus then says, okay, so this is how it's going to be with the kingdom of God. You can't actually sort out in the early stages who's part of the kingdom and who isn't. And, and if you try to, you're probably going to do a great deal of damage. And so he's basically saying, don't even try. And if your question is, so why are there hypocrites in the church or why are things not quite what they seem, Jesus would say, well, actually, because sometimes it's quite hard to see, but don't worry. 
God ultimately sorts this out. Don't you try and do it. God will do this in the end. And the next parable, the parable of, of the fish, is essentially saying the same thing. So a fish, fisherman goes out, uh, gets his net in, brings everything in, and there are both good and bad fish in it, and, and they get separated out at the end. It doesn't affect the way you fish, but in the end you sort out what's good and what isn't. Now, that's what Jesus is saying, and we need to obviously say to ourselves, so, okay, what, what does this say to us? Uh, what, what does this say to us, and how does this help us in our own growth as Christian people? And I think the first thing I would say is that it, it says to us, and just reminds us, that, that we are not the judge. Because the one thing that Jesus is saying very clearly in this parable is, don't you try and judge who's in and who's out. Because if you try and judge who's in and who's out, you, you, you actually could really impact what God is doing in a negative way. So, so leave judgment with God. Leave judgment with God. And, 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 and in the actual parable, as, as it's told, uh, and, and why don't we just, just read it quickly, uh, as the parable of, of, the weeds, of the weeds gets told, uh, the owners of the servant come to him and say, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Uh, where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? We'll sort this out for you. You, you, know, you don't need to do it, we'll sort it out. Uh, no, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So Jesus recognizes there that, that our temptation is always going to be to act as the judge. We're going to be the one who says, I know you're not really who you say you are. I know you're not really a Christian. And, 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 and to make the judgment, Jesus says, just don't do that. You, you, you interfere with God's work when you do that. You know, refrain from judgment. And, and we really do need to. I, I can remember uh, you know, much earlier as a pastor having to take a funeral for a man. And, you know, by all appearances, it certainly looked as though he'd led an interesting kind of a life. Uh, he had done pretty much everything wrong, had, had trouble with the law multiple times. His sister had actually been a missionary, so, so it was kind of this family that was quite divided in terms of kinds of lifestyle. So a missionary sister, brother-in-law in and out of prison, uh, not brother-in-law, sorry, her brother uh, in and out of prison, and, uh, and he has a stroke and then he dies. And uh, I have to take the funeral service for, for, for her brother. And she comes to me before and says, I guess it's going to be a really tough service, isn't it, Pastor? Because you're going to have to tell everyone, you know, what's going to happen to him, that he's going to be rotten in hell. And that's not a very nice thing to have to say at a funeral. But I guess there's not much else that you can say. We all know what life he lived. And uh, I thought, well, okay, well, some people are courageous. Some people are stupid. Uh, um, neither. So I'm not going to say that. I'm not so stupid to say that either. Uh, but I did have to say to her, you, you know, actually, we don't know that that's necessarily true. We, we don't know that that's necessarily true. I mean, it's true that your brother's life didn't seem particularly promising. But, hey, I'd actually been to him in the, in the hospital. He had a stroke. Uh, I, I don't know. I do not know whether he responded really or not. But, I mean, I spoke to him. I asked him if he wanted prayer. He couldn't communicate very effectively, but he was able to communicate that he did want prayer. I did pray for him. What's his fate? This parable says, Brian, that's none of your business ultimately. God knows. God knows. You trust people to God. You hand them over. You, 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 you pray for people. Ultimately, God is the judge. We are not the judges. So that's the first thing that the parable says, says, says to us. The second thing that it says is, beware, beware. God is working in the world. And, and, and as Jesus portrays the parable, God is working in the world 
God is making a harvest in the world, but Satan is also at work in the world. So, so, so if you look at the way the parable is constructed, it's saying there's not just one person working in the world, there are two. God is at work, Satan is at work. Therefore, be prayerful, be prayerful. And pray that God's work will triumph in the, in the world. And do not be naive. Everything that happens is not good. This is a harvest that is mixed in some way. There is wheat and there's donel. And frankly, sometimes telling the difference between them is not actually all that, all that easy. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we were in a world where it was absolutely crystal clear, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong. Uh, this parable implies that actually it's not always that easy to tell the difference between right and wrong. Sometimes things look much the same way. And, and, and I guess you say, so, okay, so how then do we move ahead? If we're not to judge, but we know that Satan's at work in the world. I, I guess you have to say, we, rather than being people who try to oppose things, because this parable is saying, don't be judgmental about things, we must be people who know what we can jump on board with and build some things. Do, do, do you know the difference between that? It's actually about mindset. It's about, do I go out into the world grumping about everything that's wrong, saying everything that's wrong and opposing everything? Or do I say, actually, I know that the harvest that I'm about is good. I, I can't be certain about lots of the other things, but I know that this is a good harvest. And so I do that. In other words, I, I know where God is at work. Now, now, there may be some things I don't know what's happening over there. I don't know. I suspend judgment. But I know that God is at work here. Now, 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 when the church has done that, if you just look at church history, you find that that's when the church has always made her best decisions. So, for example, in the early church, very quickly realized that uh, you know, if we really believe that God makes everyone in God's own image, then everyone matters. That, that, that was perhaps the most dynamic truth that the early church birthed in society. It was a society that never really thought like that. And the early church comes and says, actually, everyone matters to God. And what does that mean? That means that the, the disgusting treatment that was meted out to women uh, in the ancient world gets reversed. And women have a standard that they, they've never had before in society. And that means children suddenly have worth as well. And that means that charity gets birthed. And that means that in due course, slavery gets abolished. And, and there are all kinds of really positive things because, because the church comes and says, you know, if we believe this, then we must act in a certain way and we must do certain things. Now, now the church hasn't always got things right. So there have been times when the church actually has done things that have been really quite unhelpful. So it's sometimes felt that it needs to oppose things, that it needs to be the kind of moral judge of society. And, and I think this parable is saying, be very careful of doing that. Be very careful of doing that. And so we could go back, for example, to the last century. Uh, I don't know how many of you maybe have studied some of the history of prohibition. So, so prohibition was, was this period in history where in many parts of the world, uh, the church and other people tried to ban people drinking alcohol and the production of alcohol and the use of alcohol, period. Uh, didn't ever really take on in Australia. I guess we're just not that kind of a country. Uh, I mean, the, the, the interesting enough, actually, from 1910 to 1928 uh, in the ACT, and, and let's face it, the ACT is always its own kind of place. Uh, prohibition did come in there. didn't come in any other part of, Southern, uh, of Australia, definitely not in Western Australia. So prohibition comes in, and the church is very much behind it. If you know something of, of the history, in the States, prohibition was in from 1920 to 1933. And, and just like everywhere, there were kind of these illegal little breweries coming up and there would be, people were being imprisoned and you weren't allowed to, to drink. And, and church people were spending huge amounts of their time kind of talking about the evils of alcohol and the evils of drunkenness and how terrible this was and how awful this was. 
And by and large, the broader society was just seething with resentment, kind of saying, you know, so what's wrong? Didn't Jesus turn water into wine? And, and you know, why, why are you getting so fanatical about this? No, no, no the church was motivated by good. The, the church was wanting to do good and was looking at a time in history where many, many, many people were abusing alcohol. Uh, drunkenness and alcoholism was, was a major issue. Uh, the, the, the church thought that it was doing good, but it was really being this kind of nosy Parker busybody in society, really. And you look back in the 21st century and you say, you spent 13 years kind of just irritating everyone in society, getting this legislation through that no one could ever really properly implement, doing, causing huge amounts of resentment, getting all these, this kind of talk of hypocrisy, because of course there was hypocrisy about it, because you know, people would, would kind of photograph a pastor having a beer or whatever, and, kind of say, and you're in favor of prohibition. I mean, it was just untenable, absolutely untenable. But it was like, that, that wasn't the project to do, that it wasn't your place to go around judging that. So, so, so what am I trying to say? I think that this parable is saying to us, if you go around and you try and dig things up and you try to pose some things, and you try to say, that's bad, that's wrong, that's that, that you can do a lot of damage, Jesus is saying. You, you, you can actually do a lot of damage. Be, be very careful. So rather than thinking so much about what you're wanting to dig up, think about what you're wanting to plant. Think about the good things that you're wanting to do. Think about the ways that you're wanting to put something into society. Think about the things that really will build a world that flourishes. I think that that's the second thing that the parable is saying to us. Now, now having said that, I, I can imagine that some of you are saying, okay, so you're saying you mustn't judge, but hold on. Uh, you, 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 you've got to judge some things. I mean, hasn't the problem of the church been, for example, that it didn't judge carefully enough between the motives of people sometimes. I mean, look, look. what's the big issue that we've had to deal with in the 21st century? That's been sexual abuse in the church, hasn't it? And people have said, well, that's because you didn't judge enough. That's because you kind of just trusted people. That's because you just took people at face value. You actually need to judge, and we want you to judge, and you've got to do that. So you may say, well, this no judging thing sounds great, but in practice, where did it get us? Not very helpful, thank you very much. Yeah, okay, but let's differentiate between being discerning and being judging. I think that there is actually a difference. So there's a difference between being someone who discerns and someone who judges. I think when Jesus is talking about judgment, first he's talking in the context of final judgment. So final judgment of people's eternal destiny is, is the main focus of, of these two parables. And, and he's not saying that you shouldn't discern that certain things are helpful and certain things are not. So, so we should discern whether certain actions are helpful or not. And it's not wrong to discern whether some, for example, has the gifts to do some, something or doesn't have the gifts to do something. In other words, you shouldn't be passive about other people, but to judge someone in, in the sense that, that, that this parable is talking about or these parables are talking about, to judge someone in that sense is about writing someone off. It's about saying... You know, you're just hopeless. I mean, you're, you're the wrong side. Uh, I mean, God has no hope for you, and, and, and I'm writing you off. Now, now, Jesus said, be very careful about writing anyone off. Never write anyone off. Never, never, ever write anyone off. But that's not the same as being discerning. And, and, and in fact, the scriptures teach us quite, quite often. I mean, I'll just read you Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Do, do, do you see Paul's attitude there? 
I mean, if you're living by the Spirit and you see someone else whose brother or sister, something you just look and you think, I don't think that's going to be helpful. I mean, don't be passive about it. Get alongside. But it's not that you're judging, condemning. It's that you're discerning that that's going to trip you up. That's not going to be very helpful. And so you get alongside and you, 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 you need to be humble because you can be, be tripped up yourself. And you help people to become the best that they could possibly be. It's maybe so, so. So, on the one hand, we could say it's the difference between uh, judging and discerning. The other uh, kind of way we could think of it, maybe it's the difference between being a cynic and being skeptical. Have you ever thought of the difference between those two? I mean, I think that cynicism is one of the really ugly qualities that's starting to develop in our age. And cynicism is really just about, doesn't matter what anyone does, you just kind of sneer and say, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. And, and people say, okay, I don't want to be a cynic. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be skeptical. So, 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 so what's the difference between being skeptical and being a cynic? I think the difference is probably one of posture. So, 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 so this, the cynic kind of leans back, as it were. And if you're a cynic, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not involved here. And I'm just looking at this and I'm just judging this. And like, are you ever going to get anything right? I mean, you, you are such a failure. You're just absolutely useless. And at any rate, you, you're just a piece of rubbish anyway. You know, so that's it. I'm not interested in my PR. I'm not interested in anything that you say. Don't believe anything that you say. I'm just very cynical about anything that you ever do. Now, now by contrast, the skeptic leans in. The skeptic actually says, you're saying that? I'm sorry, you're wrong. You haven't thought about that. I mean, have you questioned that? I mean, don't you see that doesn't actually work? And why don't you? And, and the leaning in is not actually a negative one. It's actually taking seriously what you're doing. And the skeptic comes and says, I'm actually going to take you quite seriously, and I'm going to point out that you haven't thought some things through. And so think, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? And I'm leaning in because I'm actually engaged with you and actually do care about you, and I don't want to see you making major, major mistakes. So, for example, if you maybe are wanting to start up a small business and you have someone who's a cynic and you go to the cynic and you say, you know, I'm thinking of starting this, this small business. What, what do you think about it? And they're just cynical. Ah. Nothing ever succeeds. This is a terrible economy. At any rate, mate, have you ever succeeded in anything? I mean, like, what's your track record? You're just a bit of a failure, aren't you? And, and, and I'm just cynically dismiss everything. And you go and just think, well, that's really unhelpful. Whereas the skeptic may say, okay, so show me your business model. And you, I don't think those figures add up there. You, you know, could you think, have you thought about maybe doing it that way or that way? Do, do, do you see the skeptic is, is asking hard questions, but it's not negative. It's about trying to help you to be a better person. Not, not, not when Jesus talks about not judging, he's saying there are forms of judging people that are just devastating, and they're really not helpful, and they're very destructive. And if we go about judging in those kinds of ways, well, well, God is doing good stuff, and yes, there is bad stuff happening as well, but you know what? You're going to get them muddled, and if you judge like that, and, and you go about judging people like that, you will do a great deal of harm. So lean in. And be a person who discerns and who tries to say, so where is the spirit at work? What is God doing? How can I be helpful here? How can I actually be constructive in this situation? So, what's the parable been saying to us? Don't judge. Saying, is it work in the world? Differentiate between being discerning and judging. Number four, I think it says, recognize judgment is real. Now, now, now this gets to a very controversial area, doesn't it? You know, is there going to be a final judgment? Well, these parables say yes, and these parables say that very clearly. And uh, in fact, it gives us just a little bit of a, a hint of, of what Jesus thinks about when he thinks of judgment. Now, now, 
realistically, I'm going to try and condense in just a matter of minutes a Christian view of judgment, and that's not possible to do. So in the little DVD we saw, Aaron said that he's a lecturer at Vos. I'm the principal of Vos, but if you want to know more about this, sign up to Vos Seminary, come and study with us, and uh, get a degree in theology, and you'll be able to answer all these questions really, really well. But this is the, 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 the three-minute potted version. So, so what is the judgment that actually takes place? If you were Jewish, you would think in terms of two places of judgment, Hades and Gehenna. Hades, you would say if you're a Jewish person, Hades is the place of the dead. And when you die, you are in this waiting place, Hades, and, and kind of underworld place, a place of, of gloomy foreboding, and you are waiting for the end of the age when judgment will come. And if the judgment doesn't go for you, then you go to Gehenna, which is the place of perpetual burning. Now, Gehenna, in terms of Jewish thought, was a very specific place. And, and, and the analogy was, there was a place known as the Valley of Hinnom. So the Valley of Hinnom was to the south of Jerusalem. And it was where all the rubbish of Jerusalem was burnt. It was the refuge dump, so all dead animals, all your refuge you had, you'd go there, and it was a fire that, that burnt forever. And so when Jews ask this, this question, so, so what happens if you fall under the final judgment of God? People say, well, it's going to be like you fall into the lake of fire. And they would know. You, it's like you go into Gehenna. And they would know this is the Valley of Hinnom. That, that, this is where this place just burns forever. This is, this is a terrible place. You, hear the, you could smell the, the smell of the refuge going. And, and that's where you land up. And that's, that, 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 that was how people spoke about it. Now, now, when Jesus speaks in this particular parable about, about judgment, he does say, judgment is at the end of the age, and if you are not found to be part of God's field, if, you, if, you're not, if God has not been working in your life, then you go away to the fiery furnace, and he's probably thinking, he's, he's using the, 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 the Jewish portrait there, the lake of fire, or Gehenna, or the valley of Hinnom, where this, this, this refuge gets burned forever. So Jesus says that that then is what's going to happen. Now, now, now here are the questions that people actually ask today. So, so there, there, there are two kinds of questions. Question number one, is this purely symbolic? In other words, is, uh, should, should we view this, this uh, Gehenna as being a literal place, or is it more a relational place? And come to us, and you'll, you'll hear the argument for, for, for that and against that. Uh, and secondly... Is it a permanent place or isn't it? And, and, and here's where the confusion lies. And I'm sure that you have sometimes seen, and, and they're more medieval portrayals. So, so, so what is hell like? And many people, people say, well, hell is like this, this place where you speculate about the temperature the whole time. It's a, it's a lake of fire. It's a lake of endless burning where people are screaming in, in torment forever. And, of course, Jesus does say, so let's actually listen to what Jesus says in, in this, this parable here. Uh, they will be... Th they will be thrown, sorry, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, if you've heard the expression weeping and gnashing of teeth, well, Jesus himself uses it. So, some people have said, okay, so then that means that hell, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and they have made an assumption that that weeping and gnashing of teeth then goes on forever and forever and forever. And the question is this, is that of an individual person or is it that the, the, the lake of fire is always there and you get thrown into it and you hear the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and then there is the end for the person and you still hear weeping and gnashing of teeth because there are yet others who are coming for judgment. In other words, is hell a permanent state or is it a place of annihilation, a place of final judgment? And is it that at the end of time, of this period in Hades, 
that people face a final judgment and they get thrown into a lake of fire where they, they will die because, I mean, that is, after all, what would, would happen to anyone if they get thrown into a lake of fire? Or is that, that torment going to carry on forever? Now, you want to know the answer, I'm quite sure, and I'm going to sidestep it by simply saying Christians are debating about this very vigorously right at this point in time. And Christians take different points of view. And if you go to the scriptures, you can argue it both ways. Uh, you can argue, for example, uh, let's take Paul literally. The wage of sin is what? Death. The wage of sin is death. So people say, if the wage of sin is death, how can the wage of sin be eternal life and torment? You know, that's not consistent. If the wage of sin is death, the wage of sin is death. And that then goes to a view that says, okay, so where does that death take place? Well, it takes place after judgment. You get thrown to the lake of fire, and, and then you die. And... And the lake of fire doesn't go out, but you do go out. That's view number one. View number two would be actually that torment is forever. Now, we're not going to solve all of this today. We, we, we just aren't, but be aware that that debate is there and people think about it. What we can be more confident about is that Jesus does say, and, and Paul teaches, for example, quite clearly, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Philippians chapter 1, that those who are in Christ, when we die, we are absent from the body and we are present with the Lord. So if you are a follower of Jesus, what happens? Well, when you die, you are absent from your body, but you're present with the Lord. You, however, still wait for a final judgment. So, so you don't wait in Hades, which, was, which is this Jewish concept of the underworld, but you wait with Jesus for a final judgment, and then ultimately God makes all things new. And in the book of Re Re Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, for example, there's, there's this beautiful picture of, of uh, the, the, the ultimate temple coming out of heaven, living amongst earth, and a new earth that is renewed. And so ultimately, and this does, I mean, we really are trying to get far too much into far too short a space of time. But ultimately, our destination as people who are in Jesus is not heaven. It is, it is earth. It is an earth that has been made new. So when we die, we are absent from the body, present with the Lord, waiting for the final, final renewal of all things, where God ultimately will build a new heaven and a new earth, and we will reign with Christ. You know, now, now, now we're told that there's no temple in this new earth, because in fact the temple has come down out of, out of heaven to earth, because now God's dwelling is amongst people. In other words, heaven is now on this earth that has been made new, and it is a renewed world that is the world that God always intended, and we reign with God on that world forever and forever. Okay, I don't know if that's too much and too short a space of time, but all those are questions that start to come out of these, these, these parables. And, and, I, and I hope that at the end of them, you, you note, I mean, it can sound like quite a gloomy thing to talk about judgment, but I hope that you notice the hopefulness and the grace, because the fifth thing, the last thing I'm really wanting to say uh, from, 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 from these two parables is that the focus of Jesus, though it might sound as though it's on judgment, is ultimately actually on hope. It's reminding us that God is at work in the world and God is building a people for himself and that the work that God is doing is precious and it's wonderful and we must be very careful to build it and not to destroy it. And our task is not to act as judge, uh, definitely not to act as judges, but our task is to go out and to say, so where is God at work in the world and how can I help what God is doing in the world and to make a contribution to God's work in the world. Because ultimately, judgment is real, and there will be an ultimate judgment day. But if God has been working in your life, and you have been said yes to him, then ultimately your destination is one day to be absent from the body, but present with the Lord, and to ultimately rule with Christ on an earth that has been renewed and made, made new. 
And that is the great hope that we have because of Jesus. Let's pray together. And just as we quiet together, just quite a lot in that today. But see if there's something that, that God was wanting to say to you. Maybe he's wanting to challenge you, but maybe just had too negative an attitude and you need to get that to change. Maybe you need to make the journey from being the cynic to being the skeptic who spots problems but is really helpful about them. The most important, though, would be, have you spotted God's work in your own life? And have you sensed that God has planted a seed in your life? And have you invited God to let it grow? Because that's the seed that brings life that lasts forever. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us, that you care for us, and that you work in our lives. And thank you that if we respond to your great love to us, that we can be confident of life forever. In your name. Amen.